Welcome to Navigating the New Normal, Grant Thornton's podcast exploring trends in business and the marketplace. I'm Rebecca Archer, and today I'm joined by Simone Barker, Director in our Innovation Incentives and Government Grants team, and Pete Burgess, Corporate Finance Partner at Grant Thornton. With the current economic and commercial uncertainty for some businesses, all avenues to attract funding for business growth should be explored. So, what are the ways that businesses can attract more funds to maintain and grow market share. Welcome, Simone and Pete. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So first off, can you tell us a bit about what you both do? Both Simone and I work for our clients. So we're not working on the fund side or the investment side. We're actually working for our clients in in helping them access growth funding. So uh, Simone works mostly on the the project-based finance, so around government grants, uh, whereas my aspect is more around the business growth. So I'm working with businesses that are looking at unlocking growth through capital, whether that be debt or private equity, to you know essentially access markets that they wouldn't have been able to do by themselves. Yeah, so as um, Pete mentioned, Simone Barker here, Director in the Innovation Incentives team, and I help businesses to access funding from government. So government grants support businesses by co-investing in a strategic project as opposed to a business more broadly. So we work with state and federal governments and they're looking for projects that will not only help a business grow, but also have a project that will have a broader economic impact. And the way I work with clients is in a number of different ways, but broadly, We help to identify growth projects that are likely to be of interest to government. We help our clients to monitor the grants landscape, so to identify grant programs that have strong alignment to a client's project pipeline. And obviously, strong alignment with a grant program means a greater chance of success. And then we help our clients to prepare really robust applications to a qualified grant program. So I'm curious as to what exactly good business looks like from your different perspectives. Yeah, so just carrying on from what I was saying from a grants perspective, really having that broader economic impact in a project is is good for a grant. It's really essential. You know, government is looking to support projects that are going to create new jobs or establish a new industry, perhaps grow an existing one you know, or even perhaps to support development of new technologies. And that's something that we're really seeing in the clean energy sector at the moment through government support. And aside from that, those aspects, you know, government is using taxpayer money to invest in projects. So they're really keen to understand that any project that they might invest in is going to be successful. And so this means that a business and the project they're putting up has to have a lot of documentation and analysis that they can present to government, whether that's through a project plan that outlines how a project aligns with the business's core strategy, a business case that identifies the expected commercial outcomes and validates the need for the project, there will be a level of scrutiny, you know, as there should be. And along with that goes an overview of the delivery team, their track record of success, and aspects like that are key. And then aside from that, policy alignment is also really key with grants. So project outcomes where the benefits align with the political agenda, Again, things like job growth, building workforce skills, industry development. And, you know, that's where my team leverages our strong understanding of public policy in the landscape to identify which projects are likely to attract grant funding. 
in, in a similar vein, Rebecca, you know, instead of the government being our major stakeholder for us, we typically tend to look at the investor and what they're looking for. So, you know, a lot of that comes back to, and we'll probably speak about this later, but industry tailwinds. And it completely is dependent on the size of investment, the type of investor. So whether it be growth capital, private equity, private credit, there's different indicators of those businesses, uh, which are really attractive to those, you know, separate stakeholders. But I guess there is a, you know, an undercurrent of what good looks like in those businesses. And, you know, similarly to you know, the government grant work, it is, it's that compelling business plan. It's the value proposition. It's the opportunity to, you know, see significant growth from the investment that's made. Uh, it's the team credentials and track record. At the end of the day, equity investors and, and credit investors are investing in the people that are running the business. Typically, the businesses that we're working with, the family-owned businesses and have been for, you know, either a short period of time or a long period of time. And they're looking at bringing in institutional capital. So it really is about the quality of the management team. And, you know, and in a lot of instances, there's succession plans around those management teams as well. And then, you know, the strong commercial outcomes, you know, is a very important piece. We have, you know, investors that are looking for return on their capital. Uh, so it's not just about, you know, creating a job or creating a new factory. This is about, you know, three times in their return over a pretty short period of time. And that's, I guess... You know, we're, you know, leading into those other differences is that there is a requirement for a realisation event, particularly in private equity, you know, anywhere from, you know, growth equity all the way through to buy up private equity, there is a requirement for a realisation. So they need to sell the business in order to, to make capital for their investors. So, you know, it's a pretty big mindset change from taking on non-dilutive capital to taking on capital that will require you to, to have a realisation event in the next sort of three to seven years. We also see that a lot of the time that they're looking to take on a board role within our clients and they you know, are looking at the overall business and the future industry rather than just a discrete project. So I guess there are a few of the differentiators from the work that Simone does, but there are a lot of similarities as well. And do these factors depend on the size of the business at all? How much of an impact does that have here? Yeah, absolutely. So from our perspective, you know, from an equity perspective, it really dictates who and where you can speak to and attract a capital from. So, you know, for example, in broad strokes in the Australian market, EBITDA, so earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, amortization, between one and three million dollars is probably attractive to a pretty small number of investors. So you're looking at really their family offices, some discrete growth capital investors. So when you start ticking over into that four million EBITDA market that you have access to a whole bigger range of private equity capital. So, you know, essentially, you know, I would say that size is a very big factor in what we do and, you know, helping businesses, you know, bridge that gap between profitability. So break even to getting to that 4 million mark is, is a, you know, a big piece of what we do. So the early strategy work um, in helping create value within an organisation. I'd echo what um, Pete's saying in terms of size of business being a pretty big factor in grants as well. It is looked at it slightly differently, but there's certainly different categories of funding targeting businesses, I would say, at different stages of maturity. So to give a couple of examples, you know, there'd be grants to support you know, R&D and commercialisation activities. So these could be startups or pre-revenue businesses. And, you know, these grants are often to support bringing something new or novel to market. So perhaps a new product or service or process. Then there's grants for small and medium-sized enterprises, so SMEs. These grant programs support businesses to scale up and grow. So it could be to support expanding an existing facility or supplying a new market 
you know, perhaps there's an export market that a business wants to supply and a new piece of equipment would help them to do that. And then there's grant programs for larger scale businesses. You know, potentially these kinds of programs are less frequent, although, you know, at the moment we are seeing some bigger programs coming out targeting this bigger end of town and they are often around supporting industry transition so at the moment we're seeing support for things like decarbonization or clean energy as in examples of this this larger scale grant program and grant programs you know having the government as the investor have a set of guidelines and those guidelines outline that political policy alignment that I talked about earlier, but also the supporting information and what outcomes they're looking for. So when Pete talked about the realisation event in grants, it's more, you know, what is the outcome from this government investment that is going to have a really beneficial flow on impact to Australia or to a state at large? So checking those guidelines is really important and that's where we support our clients to get that alignment. And you would see changes in the quantum of information, complexity of the details requested from governments around those different categories of funding. I'd be curious to hear what you're seeing in terms of industry trends at the moment. What's happening? So grant landscape is very much impacted by political cycles, as you could imagine. So the change in federal government in 2022 has really sparked a major refresh in um, national public policy. And this is now flowing through to grants. I think I mentioned already decarbonisation, clean energy, very big themes that we're seeing coming through federally, but also coming through states as well. Big support for those those initiatives and flow on from that, you know, circular economy. So thinking about sustainability and the way our manufacturers and our operating is very much front and centre at the moment, as is a push to reshore manufacturing, you know, impacts from COVID and supply chain issues that were caused during that time. Two major federal grant programs that are being rolled out by the Albanese government Uh, the National Reconstruction Fund and the Industry Growth Program, the National Reconstruction Fund offering loans and equity investment. And we're seeing state governments setting up programs to support this, this big federal program. And then the Industry Growth Program, which will offer matched grant funding, which is actually under design at the moment. So I feel like post though the the political change and some reviews that have been going on, there's a real galvanisation in in the grant sector to kind of support up into those key themes. And similarly to Simone, I think we see you know the bad news is actually good news for investment. So anything you see out there in the press around, for example, cybersecurity, ESG, you know supply chain constraints, they're all significant opportunities in private equity. And that's where we see the tailwinds. So whenever there's an issue, there is an opportunity. And, you know, we certainly see that at the moment. We've got the vast majority of, you know, private capital that's going flowing into private equities actually from our super funds in Australia, whether that be Australian super funds or overseas pension funds or overseas significant wealth funds. And they, it's a really big push on ESG investing. So we're seeing funds in Australia set up discrete and separate funds which are investing you know purely into ESG style businesses 
We're also seeing, you know, a pretty significant investment in, you know, onshoring. So manufacturing, smart manufacturing, um, efficient manufacturing. We lost a lot of that in Australia over the last 50 years as a result of wage prices. Um, but with automation and smart manufacturing, actually seeing that come back onshore, which, you know, from the consumer's perspective, sees confidence in supply as well. So, you know, there's a lot of, I suppose, tailwinds in the industry that we're seeing, which are flying through both government grants, but also through the private capital market. And I would say, you know, there's certain subsectors, for example, within technology, there's AI, which is a really hot topic at the moment, but probably very much more focused at the pointy end. So venture capital. And I would say over the past five or six years, that's been similar to the ESG angle as well has been in the venture capital space. Uh, but we're actually starting to that, see that really bleed into the private capital market at the moment, the private equity market. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of years. Yeah, it'd be great to see what happens. And what about any industry headwinds that we're seeing right now? Can you maybe give us a little bit of information about what's out there, what feedback you're getting and, and what you're seeing overall for businesses that's, that's causing a potential obstacle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of this would be you know widely publicised, but I think during COVID, we saw significant growth in businesses that were direct to consumer and, you know, all online. We've seen a retraction, a significant retraction from that, from the consumer. And, you know, with the tightening of budgets around, you know, increased interest rates, you know, discretionary items and particularly direct to consumer has come off the boil as a result, I guess, with the private equity funds and, you know, venture capital funds looking forward to see, you know, where the, the pinch is going to be. We we have seen a significant retraction from that sector, you know, alongside the, I suppose, the cash burning technology, which is, you know, very much has been in the past two or three years fueled by venture capital. We've seen a, a pretty significant retraction from, you know, over-investing inflated values into technology. And, you know, having said that on both sides of those headwinds, there's opportunity. So good businesses within those subsectors are always going to survive. And when, if they survive, they'll come at the other end and be one of few that have survived and they'll be you know, really attractive in that next cycle and ripe for investment. So there is an opportunity in that as well, you know, ever the optimist. From a grants perspective, some of the headwinds tend to be around those political cycles that I mentioned. So Another example is, aside from the change of federal level government, we've also had a change of government in New South Wales. And unfortunately, these, these changes in government cause disruptions to the grant cycle. You know, some programs get put on hold or go under review or new programs get developed, like the National Reconstruction Fund and the industry growth programs that I mentioned. But what this means for businesses is that the grant support that they sometimes need to rely on to get those projects out at a bigger scale or get better technology or to deliver them faster have been missing. There's been a gap for a, a significant amount of time now at a federal level where programs have pretty well been offline for about 12 months. New South Wales programs are, we're hoping to see come back online towards budget, state budget time, September this year. But disruptions in government support, along with inflation, they're really restricting businesses' growth agendas, which just means that any open grant programs at the moment are becoming a lot more competitive because there's more demand and businesses are seeing that support as being, you know, less of a nice to have and more of a really critical element to delivering their strategic plans. 
And for businesses that might be looking for this kind of help, whether it's, you know, in private investment or government grants, how should they find out what they can do and how to access these things? I can only imagine it. It must seem quite overwhelming to a lot of organisations. Yeah, there's certainly a lot going on in the grant space and even more so at the moment with new programs coming out at a federal level. I do post a lot on LinkedIn, so I try to keep my clients updated with, you know, the day-to-day new programs opening or updates in that area. So I'd welcome anyone to reach out and follow me there. Otherwise, just reach out through my details on the website. Happy to have conversations about the project pipeline that people are looking at. And again, you know, identifying which projects might be suitable for grant funding. Thanks, Simone. And Rebecca, similarly, you know, I think a lot of the work that we do, particularly in the early stages of founders and business owners considering private capital, is the education piece. So we work with founders of business businesses on a regular basis to, you know, really take a look at their business and understand where they're at, how attractive their business is to private capital, and then help them position themselves so that they are most attractive to that private capital. So similar to Simone, feel free to, you know, add me on LinkedIn, but I'm a talker, so happy to take a phone call. You know, my mobile's listed on our website, so yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm wondering if you've got any sort of insights into what's out there in the next maybe 12 to 18 months or even beyond that in terms of business growth. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty with higher interest rates, cost of living, inflation crisis, things like that that we're hearing about on a daily basis from the media. But is there a different perspective that needs to be given to this in terms of businesses is a long-term venture most often and we need to sort of get some context around that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we're, we're dealing this with this you know, on a daily basis. You're making an investment in your business or you're making a decision for your business based on a longer-term view than just the next six or 12 months. Um, I think we as consumers make a lot of decisions every day based on, you know, how much money we have in the bank, whereas a, a good business owner should be looking through that and looking at the next three to seven to 10 years or, or 20 years if they want to, you know, intergenerational business. So what I will say is there's still a significant amount of capital out there looking to invest into good Australian businesses. And there's still lots of great Australian businesses performing really, really well. Uh, not to say that things won't get tighter over the next six and 12 months, but you know we we go through cycles and that that's the reality. You, as a business, being prepared to go through the ups and downs is a really good indicator of the quality of your offering, the quality of the people that are around you um, and the structures and systems that you've got in place to ensure that there's discipline within the business. So you know if you're one of those businesses that is feeling the pinch, but you can ride it out, uh, then there's certainly an opportunity on the flip side of that. And then, you know, I guess on the more uh, negative side, we are starting to see an uptick in more distressed opportunities in the market. And, you know, a lot of boards and and ownership structures looking at, I guess, taking, uh, making the best of a bad situation and looking at the way that they restructure their organisations to have a, you know, to reset, realign, you know, maybe, maybe they've got some parts of the business that's not performing and is a real drag on the business. So they're looking at, you know, shipping that off or, or selling that part out. So we're seeing a pretty significant uptick in that particularly, I would say, after the last three or four months uh, and expect to see a little bit more of that in the next 12. The only other thing that I would add is sort of to wrap it all up and some of the things that Peter and I have both been talking about across the podcast. I, I think, you know, there are difficulties in the market at the moment, but there's a, I think there's a lot to look forward to as well. You know, I think with that ESG focus, that 
decarbonisation, circular economies. There's support and interest now in some quite revolutionary change, I think, in the way that businesses operate and the way we look at our supply chains. And from a government grants perspective, government is supporting that as well, as well as, you know, private investors. So I think that, you know, we're heading into some interesting times and I, for one, am quite excited to see how it all comes out in the wash um, in a few years' time. Simone and Pete, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic to speak to you. Now, you've both mentioned LinkedIn, but if anyone listening today would like to get in touch directly to hear more about what it is specifically that you work on and how you might be able to help them, are there other ways that they should contact you? My phone number's on my LinkedIn page. It's on the Grant Thornton website. So I'm happy for anyone to give me a call or send me an email. All my details are there. And similarly, feel free to reach out, uh, contact me via email or mobile phone listed on the Grant Thornton website. If you liked this podcast and would like to hear more, you can find and subscribe to Grant Thornton Australia on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.